Well, let's turn our eyes in prayer for a few moments to the Lord. Our Father, we thank you for your immense love and grace toward us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for your, um, your incredible love toward us, Lord. We pray, O oh Father, that as we um, examine your word for a few moments this morning, that we will have our hearts strengthened, have our soul protected, O oh God. I pray that you will instill in us thankful hearts because we have been given so much. In the midst of struggles and trials and tests, O oh God, I pray that we will not lose our footing, that our hearts will not wander away from you, but that you will pull us close to yourself. And even this morning, Lord, I pray that your word applied to our lives will uh, do its powerful work to encourage all of us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Nothing shakes the believer's confidence or sense of security like suffering, trials, afflictions, persecutions, trouble, and of all the multiple weapons that the enemy and spiritual forces can utilize against us, mind games are regularly the weapon of choice, particularly when we are going through a difficult time, especially during seasons of physical suffering. If the evil one can get to your mind, he will get to your heart. And so this morning, as we sit down at the table of thanksgiving, together with the family, this is the thanksgiving table, really. As we sit down together, I hope to show you from God's word how thanksgiving can put doubt to the run. So would you turn with me to the book of Colossians? We're going to look at Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 24 down through verse uh, 10. This morning, how thanksgiving protects your soul. That's what we're looking at. I want to just uh, take a pause for a moment while you're looking for the text and, and, and make mention of uh, a note on the uh, reality of suffering and Christ and our relationship to Christ in suffering. I hope we understand that when Christ was exalted to heaven, uh, the ascension, he didn't simply go to heaven and then leave us all on our own and leave us to struggle and suffer on our own. In fact, we read everywhere in the scriptures where Christ identifies with our afflictions and our trouble and our suffering. Now, most of you will remember the, the time when Saul, the, to become the Apostle Paul, before he had come to know Jesus, was on a road to Damascus to persecute more Christians. And there was a voice that came from heaven that said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, Christ had already ascended to heaven, but he spoke to Saul on the road to Damascus and was identifying with the suffering and afflictions of his own people. And so he does. In fact, if you read Matthew 25, you, you read in that text where Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats, and he talks about those who, when 
When he was hungry, they fed him. When he was thirsty, they gave him a drink. When he was naked, they clothed him. When he was in prison, they came and visited him. And the audience said, well, when, Jesus, did we ever do that for you? And he said, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. So let's understand very carefully that that regardless of what trial or struggle or, or test or affliction or hardship, suffering that you're going through, Jesus doesn't abandon you. In fact, he's in this with you. He is absolutely with you on, in these afflictions. In fact, that's why Paul writes in Colossians 1.24, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, the church, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. And Paul himself, of course, if you, by the time you get to the end in chapter 4 of Colossians, tells us that he is writing to them from prison. It's not as if Paul took off on a Caribbean cruise and heard about the church at Colossae that they were going through some tough times and said, hey, I hope it goes well for you. I hope you're doing all right. No, no. Paul himself was in prison. He was going through tremendous afflictions and knew of the feelings and the mind games that the enemy would be playing on those who love Christ going through difficult times. And he's writing back to them saying, I know what you're going through, and I know how tough it is for me right now, and I want to encourage you with some things that I've learned along the journey. And that's what he has to tell us here. The Apostle Paul, I'm sure, faced questions while he was in prison. You know, um, the, the words that come to us. And you've been there. You've been afflicted. You've been persecuted. You've suffered. You've gone through uh, physical trials or, or, or hard times. And you've heard the voices that, you know, hey, what's with this? You know, what did you do wrong? Why, why has God exiled you? Why is, why is he apparently abandoning you? Or, or maybe uh, Paul heard the voice that, you know, what, you know, what kind of a marketing strategy for the gospel is this, Paul? I mean, Jesus, uh, Jesus has just left you abandoned in prison, to rot in prison. I mean, how is the gospel going forward? You should be out of here. You should be going from city to city telling people about the good news. Or maybe, maybe the God that you serve isn't as strong as you think he is. Maybe he can't really get you out of prison. Maybe he has insufficient funds to get you out of this situation. And on and on go these voices when we're in affliction, when we're going through times of suffering, when we're going through times of physical challenges, seeking to seduce us away from our security in Christ, from our confidence in Christ, from our, from our firm belief that Christ is sufficient for all things in all situations. Having that as a backdrop, Paul writes this letter to people who he's concerned about. He's extremely concerned about them as a church he founded. He was concerned as they were going through hassles and being challenged and, and being potentially persecuted. He was concerned that they might consider alternatives to Jesus. That they might be seduced by fine-sounding arguments. By hollow and deceptive philosophies that are based upon human tradition and evil principalities of this universe. And so he writes them this section to shore up their confidence, 
to, to remind them of what they have and to remind us. And so I offer this to you this morning on this Thanksgiving weekend. I, I offer to you a statement Paul makes in here as to how Thanksgiving protects your soul. That's pretty important stuff. So let's read the text and then let's make some comments. Now, verse 24, Colossians 1. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. And I can tell you, church, that that's what our pastoral team is all about, presenting to you God's truth in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. I mean, that's a pause moment. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is a, he, he's going to crowd up this text with the benefits that we have and, and, and help us to be encouraged to have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, he says, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ or literally mature in Christ. To this end, he says, I labor, struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Why? So that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. Why? In order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this. Why? So that... No one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. There's our key thought this morning. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles or elementary principalities of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. I want to encourage you to read over this text over and over again. The, the 30 minutes that we're going to deal with it this morning is just not enough. This is so rich, so full, such good, good food for your soul that, that, that camp here, camp here for the rest of the week, just just look here and gaze here and pray about this and, and look to heaven and, and rejoice in what you have. But in the moments that we have, let me just say that, that he's writing here to those who have the hope of glory. So he's writing to believers. But I want you to know that in, in any time that the word of God is being proclaimed, it's writing to those who don't necessarily know Christ. 
You can have the hope of glory in your life. You can have Christ in you by turning your life over to Christ even this morning. But this is primarily written to those who know Christ. And the goal of those who know Christ is maturity, that you might grow up in the faith so that you might remain firm in your faith in Christ so that nothing will move you. No afflictions, no troubles, no tests, no persecution, no suffering, no physical challenge will move you from your confidence in the hope of glory, Christ in you. So you won't consider trading Christ in for some sort of easier quick fix or what might seem like a quick fix to you. So we need to dig out of this text this morning some practical counteractives to the fact that our hearts are prone to wander. When we get really under the gun, when it gets really tough, there are voices that are inviting us to go in other directions. And we need to make certain that we are deepening our understanding of Christ always, sinking our roots deep, knowing what we have. But how? How can we do this? What does God provide for us? Well, this text is going to open that up for us. I want, I want you to notice two key sections, which are two key tactics that we have been given by the Lord, His gift to us, to prevent us from drifting away. Notice here what he says in verse 2, my purpose, and that becomes our purpose, my purpose is that they, the church, might be encouraged in heart. Let me stop here. How are we going to counteract the voices that are seeking to seduce us away from Jesus Christ? One of the practical realities is to come together and encourage each other to absolutely let encouragement flow liberally among us because discouragement can cause people to look elsewhere. And affliction and trouble and suffering and persecutions, they bring discouragement charging into our lives. And that's why uh, we, we read in other parts of the scripture, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves uh, together like some are in the habit of doing, but all the more when we see the day of the Lord approaching. Christ is coming again. We need to gather together. When we look at our la- the landscape of our land and, and the, the many discouragements that are out there. We need to come back in here and gather together on Sundays and encourage each other to, to absolutely let encouragement flow liberally among us, to encourage each other on every right choice we make in the Lord, every, every decision we make to, to abide by the truth and apply it to our lives. We need to cheer for each other every single activity that is, that is in application of God's word in our lives. We, every time we choose right over wrong, we need to encourage and lavish encouragement upon each other. That's what God calls us to do here. Every resolve to stand firmly in the truth, which is criticized out there, day in and day out, you face criticism for all of this. You, people are like, you do what? You believe what? In here... Not so. We need to lavish encouragement upon each other for, the, for standing for the truth. The church of Jesus Christ must be characterized as that. And he says, and add to that the unity of love. Add to that a lavishing of love on each other. Encouragement bathed in love for each other because love takes the truth 
and embeds it into a tight emotional bond and firm convictions. That's what it says in, in Colossians 3.14. It says, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love pulls us all together, and we know that we're in this together. Whether it's afflictions or persecutions or sufferings or bad news that we've received, we encourage each other. We're standing firm in the truth and love on each other to encourage each other that, the, that what we truly believe is absolutely the gospel truth. That lo love has a way, the emotion of love has a way of taking the intellectual realities that we believe about Jesus and bringing it to life to actually activate what, who Christ is and, and what we believe to be true. Encouragement and love. And God, by the way, chooses, this is critical, chooses to reward that kind of behavior. And here's what it says. You see what it says? So that, look at verse 2. God rewards this behavior in us so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Watch this. God promises to the church that encourages each other and loves on each other a deeper and increasingly deeper understanding of Jesus Christ and who he is. Now, we're going to go on and see what this does, but let me pause here just for a second and point out a few things that are being promised to us. This means that you practice this, and God's, God, in turn, enables you to receive and welcome more of the deeper truths of Christ. You're struggling to understand the things of Jesus, the deeper things of Jesus. Maybe you're not encouraging one another in the faith. Maybe you're not loving on one another the way you ought. Because the promise that comes along with that is complete understanding of the, the riches and wealth of, of the ability that God gives us to distinguish between right and wrong, to choose for Christ. And by the way, Christ is the mystery of God's plan for the ages revealed. Keep in mind that the Colossians, the people of Colossae, are a people who've come out of the Old Testament community. The scriptures that they had in their hands were not the scriptures that we have. They had the old, older covenant in their hands. And they were looking for Messiah. They were looking for the promise. What's God's plan for the ages? What's God's redemptive plan? How is God going to make me right with him? And how... Does, is God going to reach into our lives and, and rescue us? Oh, uh, what, what does God's mercy look like? What is it going to be packaged like? And Paul writes here, Christ is God's plan revealed now. And as we lavish encouragement and love on one another, we fully understand and apprehend what God was up to and God is up to in Christ. How can I be right with God? How will God make me uh, right with himself, looking for the treasures and wisdom of knowledge, look no further. Look no further than Christ. He is the place. You want to really get it? You want to really understand your scriptures? Go deep with one another. Strengthen each other. It will strengthen your own confidence 
And see what happens after that? Verse 4, I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. This lavishing of encouragement and love on each other, particularly in times of affliction and difficulties and struggle that we have, which we need to share with each other, and expect to be encouraged, expect to be loved on, takes each of us deeper into, the, into confidence of the convictions that we have about Jesus Christ. More confident in the benefits that we have in Christ. More confident in His power. More confident in His purposes for us. More confident in the wisdom of His design. And in so doing, in so doing, we are not deceived, it says here, by fine-sounding arguments. We're not tempted to trade in the wisdom, the treasures and wisdom of Christ for other things. Now, what are fine-sounding arguments? The word here rendered fine-sounding arguments are persuasive words. They're plausible arguments that, that cause us to, to check our thoughts, but they're false. They're plausible, but they're not true. This, our actions of encouragement and love for one another guard us from being duped by plausible but false arguments about religious things. They protect us from the moment when we go, hmm, you know, that, that guy makes a lot of sense. I've never heard an explanation theologically like that before. Because it's not true, that's why it's not. And, and in fact, it's critical for us to be able to... Paul was concerned about Colossae, that they might somehow be drawn away from the truth of Christ. And so we are as well today. Beguiling speech of false teachers. I concern myself... Almost daily, thinking about who you're listening to, who you're hearing, what they're saying to you. But I can take confidence in the fact that God promises if you will encourage each other and you will lavish love on each other, you will be carried deeper into the truth of Jesus Christ and you will be guarded in your hearts from, from receiving false teaching. It's up to you. He goes on to, to give a parallel statement all, uh, virtually in, in verse six, 6 through 10. Look at what he says here. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, now, he says, from Christ you have received the right teaching. And the result is you have received Jesus Christ as Lord. I did this in the first service. I just had to pause for that, and I'm going to pause with you too. I, I want you to think about this for a second because we just let this kind of promise and statement float by. Yeah, 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 I know that. This is not a yeah, yeah, yeah moment. This is, are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you hearing what Paul's saying here? That, that 
that if you have been granted salvation, you have acquired Jesus Christ, the Lord, the, the Lord of glory, the, the hope of glory, the, the, the God of the ages, the creator of all things belongs to you. This is your, this is your acquisition. Uh, Christ is your crowning acquisition in life. Paul's saying to you, Jesus Christ is your tradition. He is your all in all. And, and he talks here and says to us, as he said to them, now, now that you've let that register, now that you realize that you have acquired the God of all gods in your life, now that you've acquired this, walk in him, live in him, spend your days getting to know him. Walk in him over human ideas that oppose him. And he says, he gives an insight here into how the living God helps you and I to continue to walk in him. The command is, do this. You have received the right teaching. You have received the Lord. Now walk in him. Every day of your life, walk in his direction. Don't listen to the other voices that are trying to steal you away from him. You walk in him. But he doesn't leave us as orphans to this simple concept. He says, and here's what I'm going to do. He gives three participles that are passive. I know you're thinking, what do we need the grammar for? You need the grammar, trust me, because it means everything here. Passive means that somebody else is doing something for you that you're not able to do. And these are critical. He tells you, stand firm, but I'm not going to leave you on your own to try and do this yourself because I know you won't be able to do it. And so he says here, here's what I'm going to do for you. I want you, you've got the right start. Now continue by remaining in me or rooted in me. You've started in the right journey. Now stay rooted in me. But it's not you who's going to keep yourself rooted in me because it's a passive participle. I'm going to keep you rooted in me through the power of Christ that's working in you. I'm going to do this for you. So stand firm. Don't move. Stay where you have been placed with the teaching that got you to Christ in the first place. Don't waver from that, but I'm here to help you. I'm not going to cut you loose on this. And then he says after that, built up in the faith, built up. In him, built up in Christ, but again, passive. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to help you to have more of me. I'm going to help you to rest on the solid foundation that has placed you in me in the first place. So don't change your moorings. And I'm going to help you do that. And then he gives the third passive. Being strengthened in the faith as you were taught. I'm going to keep you strengthened in me uh, because the only faith that saves is the one that's helped you find your way to Christ. I'm going to help you to gain more conviction in the object of your faith. Christ is the object of our faith. Christ is the one who enables us to, to, to firmly believe the truth about Christ. So we're rooted, we're built up, we're strengthened passively by God. We cooperate with what God is doing in our lives. 
All of this is what the Lord is and has been doing in your life and continues to do. And sometimes the afflictions and the suffering and all of that is all part and parcel of what God is doing to strengthen you, to, to, to cause you to remain in him, to cause you to be strengthened and built up. And then he switches tenses. He switches from passive to present active. This is why it's so important. And says this, and overflowing with thanksgiving. This is something God is not going to do for you. All the rest he's done for you, he's not doing this for you. This is what you have to do yourself. Overflowing with thankfulness to Christ. You know, this issue of thankfulness shows up six times in four chapters in Colossians. And regularly when Paul's talking about prayer, he's saying, pray this, pray that, with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is an amazing buffer or protector of our soul from the enemy. You see what he says here? He goes on to say, and see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. This all builds on itself. Not what Christ is doing for us, but rather what we are now, as a result of what Christ has done for us, giving thanks for. And this isn't just being thankful. That's not what this is. Being thankful isn't active. It is expressing our thankfulness. This is overflowing with thankfulness. This is making certain that our days are characterized in whatever situation or circumstance we find ourselves in to be thankful to the Lord, to, over, to overflow in thanksgiving for the, inflect, for the, the, uh, the uh, affliction that we're going through, for the suffering that we're going through, for the physical hurt that we're going through. No, that we have the hope of glory, Christ in us, that we have Jesus Christ as Lord and all of the benefits that come along with that. That's what we're called to. Because if we do, then we will not be easily duped into filling ourselves up with the emptiness of hollow and deceptive philosophies. We won't go shopping for alternative dependencies rather than the all-sufficiency of Christ. If our hearts soar in thankfulness for Jesus in every circumstance, we won't look elsewhere. This is why it's so critical. This is why we're challenged to do this, to, to, to pay attention to what Christ is doing in our life and then to offer to him thankfulness that we won't be taken captive. Literally, the words here mean carried off as spoils of war. We live every day of our lives in a, in a battlefield. And the battle is for your heart and my heart every single day of your life. And you can't take for granted. You can't take a day off. There's no, there's no amnesty. There's no day off in the, in the war that we're in for our hearts. We can't take a day off where we're not thankful or we're risking putting ourselves and our hearts and our soul at risk. It calls us to this because our feelings and our experiences and our lusts rise up and call us to other things, particularly during afflicting times, particularly during times of suffering. We are most vulnerable to our experiences and our feelings and our lusts at times of trouble and struggle. 
And it's those times we fight this battle by being thankful for all that we have in the Lord. Or we'll be taken down, we'll become captives of warfare. Now, he is addressed here, Jesus is addressed here as Lord. And he is Lord over all for sure ideas. Canada in these days is flooded and swamped with alternative and deceptive philosophies. Godless ideas rather than the ideas of Christ, the truth of Christ, the deification of science, gender issues, sexuality issues, beginning and end of life issues, equality of religion ideas. It's not equality of religion. All religions are not the same. Moral ideas being equivalent, they're not all the same. Social relationships, feminism, cultural philosophies of equality, empty nonsense that's shaping the campuses of our colleges, ideology and identities. 48% of Americans believe in astrology. And I presume that bleeds across the border of the north as well. I mean, think about it. They, 48% of the people, that's, that's, let's, talk, let's talk half of the people that you know believe in astrology. That it is probably or definitely valid. That somehow some lifeless rocks floating around in space or hydrogen fireballs in space are somehow affecting what's happening with you on the 401 tomorrow. Or the next day. And some of these people are in leadership. You wonder, you scratch your head at leadership decisions. Well, half of them are getting their ideas from Pluto. <laughs> traditions of humans. Back then, traditions older was always better. That's totally flipped now. Older is never better now. It's always newer is better. Regardless, it's a, it's not, if it's not according to Christ, it's a hollow and deceptive philosophy. And then if that isn't enough, in our own traditions, in our own, in our own evangelical world, we have statements being made by people who are, who are, who are following ideas and, and philosophies like evolving faith, whereby phrases are, are dropped on us like, are you trying to figure out what you believe now as if what you used to believe wasn't good enough? Reimagining theology. Unlearning and relearning God. These are Satanutics, not hermeneutics. They plan to remove the authority of Scripture in favor of preferred philosophies. Adjusting words and ways of God to be compatible with what you see around you, what you feel, what you're experiencing, what your lusts crave. These are the things that, are, these are the things that will creep up in our lives if we're not thankful for what we have in Christ. Let me wrap all this up. Because we have to ask the question then, is Jesus enough? During our struggles, during our afflictions, during our tests, during our challenges, during our physical hurts and pains, is Jesus enough? Because Paul wants us to know that he is. And so as we transition to the table of the Lord here, he says in verse 9, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Do we realize when we're talking about Jesus Christ that the entirety of God dwells in Jesus? 
He is fully God. And there is no other God power in all of the universe. So for, for those of, uh, of our world who believe in some higher power somehow, there must be a God thing or there must be whatever. The, the promise and the truth that's stated here is in, in, there's no other God power in all of the universe that is left out. It's all in Christ. Christ is very God of God. And if that was, isn't enough, he says this, and you have been given fullness in Christ. In other words, are you going to choose to fill yourself, is an oxymoron, of filling yourself with the emptiness of hollow philosophies when in fact you have been offered and have received the fullness of Christ in your life? In other words, all the power that God has and all that God is is wrapped up in Jesus and you have Jesus. I mean, this is, you don't need anything else that somebody else is peddling. You have it all in Jesus. You have everything that God can give to you if you have Jesus Christ. You have complete forgiveness. You have full relationship with God. You have full protection from enemy powers. You have full relief from suffering once it has completed its purposes according to God's plan in your life. All of that belongs to us. So, is Jesus enough? Yes, he is. And I would encourage you on this Thanksgiving weekend to recognize the power that is unleashed by God on your behalf when you choose to be thankful in every circumstance. Our Father, I pray this morning that we will soak in this truth. Not just marvel at it intellectually, O oh Lord, because you've given us work to do. You have called us in order to actuate all of these promises to us of, of guarding our soul from deceitful teachings. We must actuate in our lives an overflow of thankfulness. I pray, O oh God, that we would, to the praise of your glory, and in thanksgiving for your incredible grace to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. John Piper writes that there is a song that the enemy does not want to hear. It is the song of God's people singing thankfulness, singing thanksgiving to the Lord. So, let me encourage you to sing loud and long thanksgivings to the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you and saved you and protects your soul from deceitful ideas that would seek to steal you away from him. He keeps you as his own. Now overflow with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. God bless you all.